Welcome to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. As per our episodes, they're always special. And this one is another boomerang and very near and dear to my heart. Today, we are celebrating the book launch of Seth Godin's 21st or 72nd or perhaps 90th, I don't think he's counting anymore, new book, The Song of Significance. This was recorded a few months ago in preparation for this very special day. It makes me nearly emotional to realize the friendship and the impact that Seth Godin has had on my life. It's been enormous. The story that's not told in this book, though Seth has shared it, so I'll take the liberty of sharing it with you here, is that this book was written in a very, very brief period of time following a swim that he had done off the Pacific coast and he was caught in a riptide. When he made it back to shore, not knowing if he would, somehow a book was born nearly four weeks later. And he urges all of us always that if you have a book within you, that you must sing it, that you must write it now. I hope you enjoy this insider conversation. I hope you get a pen and you start writing your book because gosh darn it, has Seth Godin taught us so many lessons. Perhaps one of the most important is that you do have a song in your heart that is worth singing. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Seth, for being everything that you are. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoy this one. Seth Godin, there is no proper introduction. There is no amount of possible gratitude I could give you for your time. So thank you for joining us back on the mic at the Uncorked Podcast. Corker, the one and only. What a pleasure. What a delight. (laughs) You know, there's actually a few Corkers out there and I'll be your only only one. You're the only one. <laughs> oh, I'm here for it. Well, you know, I usually ask guests certain questions and all of the usually asked questions will not be in today's episode, of course. And a question that was top of my heart when I knew that we had this time together today was, what are you excited about these days? Right now, I'm thinking about the day I met you. Uh, I have no uh-huh. rational explanation as to why I thought you would be a good addition to the workshop I was running when you sent me that note, but I'm glad that you did. Mm-hmm. And I think about the connections that we're capable of making all the way across the world. And sometimes they stick and they stick for a long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So I guess as someone who doesn't get on airplanes anymore, I'm missing a little bit, just a tiny bit, the geographic uh, roundabout kind of way that you could connect with people. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited about the fact that we're coming to grips with the fact that the whole mm. world isn't the whole world. It's just a lot of little worlds all added up. And mm. people are starting to act like they can do something about their little corner of whatever they're working on. And mm. I'm optimistic that it's going to add up to something good. Oh, that's so beautiful. Right right before we hit record, I, sh- I was sharing with you that I've been trying to remove myself as much as possible from social media. And it's been a beautiful thing to have both a relationship with you and yet be a consumer of all of your work, not on social media. And it's been this constant lesson of in your corner of the world, how do you keep relationships um, alive, vivacious, healthy, full of love? And so I just want to say thank you for showing me that relationships all around the world are possible. And in our little corners, we can keep things really healthy without this um, really fake relationship called social media. I was like, wait, I don't have relationships with all of these people. 
why am I showing up there? And these are the kinds of connections and conversations that really, really matter. And, oh, yes. So I'll you know, never if forget. We, if we made a list of a hundred or a thousand really um, large profitable companies, mm. almost all of them would benefit from us getting along and feeling good about ourselves. Mm. And there's only a few, one of which has never made a penny since the day it was founded, but there's only a few that make money dividing us and that make mm. money making us feel insufficient. Mm. And we don't need those companies to thrive for the world to be a better place. And you don't have to be their product. You don't have to be a citizen of that online nation if you don't want to be. And yeah. I think a whole generation is showing up to realize uh, it didn't pay off. Yeah, beautiful. You you said nothing and everything. We we all follow that. <laughs> that was beautifully, beautifully said. Well, I am also so honored that we are recording this podcast on the dawn of your <clears throat> 21st. It's it's 21st to the exponent three, I think, um, book. And you mentioned significance, and that's just it. The Song of Significance is the, the book we are here to celebrate. Um, I feel that in order to properly honor your 21st book, we need to step back to your 20th book, which we have all been uh, you know, participants in consuming the incredible data that the Carbon Almanac has come out with and has shared. So do you mind if we start there and then and then dive into I significance? I would love to. I always love to talk about it, but I need to say it's not my book. I don't mm. count it in the numbers because I was a volunteer and I showed up to organize it, but it's our book and you are a part of the hour. And so is anyone who helped. Well, that's it, just it, that I want to speak of who you were to be the uh, beginning of that idea and what you have learned along the way. Because at one point in time, we exchanged a message that you said it was one of your most meaningful projects. And you have done a lot of meaningful work in your time. <laughs> and to reach this point in time, um, for anyone listening, you know that Seth has not written only 21 books. So to reach his 20th contribution is, and still have such enormous um, joy in the journey. Really, it seemed like this, this project brought you so much joy. And I want to hear about who you were to want to create this and what you have learned about your leadership in that process. Oh, so much to tell you about, Steph. So, um, the Almanac did bring some joy, but it also made me cry a bunch. It connected mm. me with people who I never would have had a chance to engage with. It brought new friends. Uh, the idea of the Almanac, I used to make Almanacs for a living. I did the Business Almanac, the Celebrity Almanac, the Women's Almanac. I know how to do it. I could have done it by myself, but it would have taken a long time. And it wouldn't have taught me what I needed to learn. And the reason that the Carbon Almanac exists is that I felt stupid. And I figured if I felt stupid and powerless, so did other people. And we could model by working together around the world and around the clock, how we could fix things. Because mm -hmm. it's just a metaphor, right? That when 300 and then 1900 volunteers in 90 something countries come together, time zones don't matter. And the fact that you're all volunteers doesn't matter because it all contributes. And I couldn't be a manager because no one worked for me. I was mm -hmm. a leader creating the conditions for people to do what they needed and wanted to do. Mm -hmm. 
And there are things in that almanac that I never would have invented. There are things I wouldn't have written. It's not my book, but I'm proud of how this community informed so many people. It's been a bestseller in the US and in Italy and the Netherlands, and it's out in China now. So it's not going to solve the climate problem, but it's a step and it's a model to say, don't feel helpless, just get to work. Mm. Yeah, you've you've told us that for a long time. And uh, (laughs) I think you have told us that in a long time through the lens of our work. And so at work, dot, dot, dot. And what is so powerful, um, we will ensure this is in the show notes. If you do not receive the Carbon Almanac Daily Digest next to Seth's blog, it is mm-hmm. my most favorite email. It is a nugget that makes me think. It may, I want to forward it. I learn something new. There are only a couple of hyperlinks um, per email that I always want to click on. And it feels like the smallest snippet of that beautiful almanac. And dare I say, one of um, your most relevant in 2022 books that could have hit our shelves. So well, not that the previous you. ones didn't matter. Of course, I love that you brought together I w- women. I wish it didn't matter, uh, yeah. but it yes. it does matter. And I'm also super proud. I don't write those emails. I don't see them before they go out. This is a community and that's part of the magic oh. of it. Seth, it's so magic. Do you know, I feel such pride when I see anything in Canada that is highlighted. And when I see things in other countries, I think Canada needs that too. Like, like let's yeah. make our bus stations beautiful. And yes, yes, yes. Um, so the community is phenomenal and it's, it's digestible. It makes me think it hits my heart every time. Um, and that's magic. So in light of all of this, you brought together a phenomenal, I mean, I just, I see your flywheel. I see the purple cows, the pasture of the purple cows that came together feels so beautiful. And somewhere in there, you created the time to write your 21st book, The Song of Significance. And we are releasing this conversation, um, you know, shortly after your, your announcement of the book. And, and I need to know, like, what was the impetus? What was the cause? What was, ma- what was on your heart that needed to be sung that brought this book to life? I don't know how many people I could tell the story to. Um, mm. There is a... Uh, a venture capitalist who invited me to a climate conference in Northern California. And he asked if I would run part of it. And I needed to be on the West coast for something else. And I thought the timing was good and he knew people I knew. So I said, sure, I would do it for free. I'll show up and do my best. And the person who uh, was running it with me is a beekeeper from Australia. And um, a couple of days before the event, Dan notified all of us that he wouldn't be able to make it because he had a family thing come up. Uh, 10 years ago, his daughter um, had been born with an illness and he had reorganized his life so that he could be supportive of her. And all the people at this conference, the 30 entrepreneurs understood uh, his absence and we dug deep to understand what we could do as regenerative leaders to figure out how to help their organizations get to where they needed to go. I ended up doing way more at, at the conference than I expected. I really uh, enjoyed my time there. And I heard about something called the Song of Increase. And the Song of Increase 
turns out is a book, which I didn't know, by a woman named Jacqueline Freeman, who's a beekeeper. And I tell the story of the Song of Increase in my book. Um, so that night I got her book, downloaded it. And as I drove south uh, to San Clemente and to meet our friend Rich Roll, I listened to the whole book. So I had bees on my mind. This is uh, back in October, November of uh, 2022. And uh, a bunch of speed bumps came up and I worked my way through it. And then flying home, it just started coming out of me that I had something to say about humans and bees. Bees are not people and vice versa. But when we think about the hive, the honey is not the purpose of the hive. A healthy hive produces honey, but that's not why it's there. It's there mm. because the opportunity the bees have to do the work is their calling. And human beings seek significance. Mm. And so early November, I wrote a blog post and I said, tell me about the best job you ever had. I gave people a whole bunch of choices. And... Um, what I discovered is people kept saying the same four things over and over again, which is that they wanted independence. They wanted to exceed their expectations for themselves. They wanted to be treated with respect and they wanted to connect with other people. They didn't care about whether they were paid a lot, whether they didn't get fired. They didn't care about whether they got snacks or traveled a lot, whatever. And right after I got that survey, um, Dan sent a note and his daughter had passed away. Mm -hmm. And so it's in Frankie's memory that the book mm. exists. And four weeks later, there was a book. Oh, four weeks. Um, well, that's a powerful story. And it is, we hear about Frankie at the end of the book and there you go. So when you pick up this book, you know who Frankie is. There's so much to this from bees and also priorities. The fact that you don't get on planes often, what you will get on planes for the power of honoring your friends that had to make the right choice, which was to be there with Frankie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Got it. Okay. I have a couple of questions from that. I did answer that survey. I think I was one of 10,000 plus humans who answered that survey. And I'm curious, I was curious and I thought I need Seth to do whatever he'll do with this before I can actually ask the question, which was, did the results surprise you? They did. Because I thought it was just me and you that cared about the human stuff. And I thought that make a lot of money, uh, mm -hmm. be left alone, not work very hard. The opposite sort of of what the industrialist uh, is angling for would show up way more than it did. Mm -hmm. But no one cared about that. And we're talking about 10,000 people. It's pretty scientifically valid, even though it is my blog reader. So there's that. But it turns out the things that people want mm -hmm. don't hurt the bottom line of the organization. They help it. But mm -hmm. we have these lazy, brutal, selfish, boyish, billionaire titans who are making people sign loyalty pledges and sleep in the back room and firing them at a whim that we somehow have conflated with smart management. Yeah. And it's not that at all. And yeah. so false proxies have gotten in the way. And, you know, the thing coming off the Carbon Almanac, we've sacrificed our future by burning so much stuff so that we could be momentarily wealthy and we're wasting it mm -hmm. when we could be building 
days, weeks, years that people could spend being alive and finding what they seek. And mm -hmm. what it takes is a new deal, a compact, an agreement. Mm -hmm. We need as workers to say to the boss, this is what I will give you and this is what I need back. Mm -hmm. And as bosses, we need to say to people, I'm going to stop disrespecting you, wasting your time, uh, not trusting you and brutalizing everything. And I'm going to start building an institution of significance because that's mm -hmm. what leaders do is we create the conditions mm -hmm. to do work that people would volunteer to do. Even if they're not working for free, free, we're all still volunteers in that mm -hmm. we could all go work at Goldman Sachs. We could all figure out how to do something even less meaningful and make even more money, but we don't. We volunteer mm -hmm. to do this. So let's build work that's worth volunteering for. Mm. Yes. I, I mean, as we speak to this, so I, um, you know, you had very clear instructions to not overthink when answering the survey. And it gave me great pause for thought as I looked at the options. And I didn't have any problem answering, honestly, at the first go around. Yet I thought, wow, if given these options, what will people think? It, it really made me pause. Um, so I was thrilled to see it come up in the book. And I think it gives lots of pause for thought as leaders of organizations in any sphere, be at work, be at your community run group, be at your gardening club, you know, what actually matters. Um, and being a contribution, I think really matters and call it volunteer. I, you know, we, we don't need to get into taxation yet. Sometimes when I pay taxes, I think Really, I'm just volunteering to help pay for the roads from British Columbia to be paved. And I'm okay with that. I will keep going. Um, you know, Seth, I learned that parking tickets in Vancouver, when you um, receive a parking ticket, the money goes to the Vancouver Public Library System. So all of a that. sudden... Don't you love that? I thought all of a sudden I don't consider it a ticket. I consider it a contribution <laughs> to libraries. And I feel... Um, abundant in book book contribution yeah it feels really great i'm hitting the pause button on this sweet episode to tell you about something that you might like our newsletter we call it the corkboard it has all things juicy whether you are looking to keep in touch between episodes or find out more about our coaching development or hot new jobs that we're working on the link is in our show notes your inbox is sacred and your time is too so now let's get back to the episode Aside, one nugget I need to share, this is a tangent, the impact of having a dog on, on Mother Earth is significant. Well, we can talk about the carbon footprint thing. Do you want to do that? Well, I, I just need to say, like, if you, like, it, what I really want to talk about is, like, uncovering the things you didn't know. We know that well, getting in a plane is something, uh, when that, that hit me. Uh, Okay. Uh -oh. okay, there's go no, there. uh oh, there's no, uh oh, let me explain. British Petroleum hired the greatest ad agency of the time, Ogilvy and Mather, you may have heard of them, in 1982, and they came up with the greatest marketing slogan of the decade, which is carbon footprint. Carbon footprint, everybody knows what it means. It was invented by an oil company. Why would they do that? Well, the reason is they have a trillion dollars worth of oil underground. The people of influence, the people who have the resources to speak up, if they can make them feel like hypocrites, mm. then they're less likely to speak up. 
And so carbon footprint is a brilliant plan because if you are living and breathing, you are making the problem worse. So what they've done is they've seduced an enormous number of people who mean well into worrying about things like, is it okay to have a dog? And if I have a dog, do I, can I get a bigger dog? Or if I have a dog, does the dog have to only eat rice? Like all of this stuff. Well, you know what matters so much more than that? Is there meatless Monday at the local high school? Because the difference between one person owning a dog and one person getting the local mm -hmm. high school to not serve 400 servings of beef once a week, there's no comparison. And once yeah. you get meatless Monday, well, then let's take a look at the last coal plant that's still burning in your province. Shutting one coal plant is worth a million dogs, maybe 10 million dogs. Mm -hmm. And so what I, yeah, I don't get on planes because it makes me feel like a cannibal, but I am well aware that my personal air travel isn't going to change the status of the earth. But what will change the status of the earth is community action, systemic solutions to systemic problems. And what needs to happen is that every time Justin Trudeau goes to a press conference or every single time a congressperson has an open house, the first question, the second question, and the third question needs to be about climate. Because if we talked about it that much, then the systems would change. And so- this was the, the back and forth we had inside the Almanac from the very beginning, as soon as I started to understand what was actually happening, because there was a contingent that wanted the book to be 50 simple things you can do to save the earth, which mostly involved get a sleeping bag, sleep in a tent, and don't bother anybody ever again. And I'm like, if you want to do that, that's great. But I will tell you one last thing, Steph, and then I will stop ranting. I think that if everyone on earth got a dog, this planet would get better, not worse. Because mm -hmm. once you once you own a dog, you sort of become a better person. Well, you're talking to Bernie's mom, and Bernie <laughs> is the best thing that happened to my life in the 2020s. And he is a rascal. He is naughty. He is a Bernadoodle. He's two and a half years old. And I couldn't agree with you more, more whole, wholeheartedly that my life has gotten exponentially better because he wakes me up, because I go on walks, because I meet the neighbors, because, you know, Seth, I go skate skiing with Bernie and he eats people's gloves, like fully ingests them. And then I get to meet a new friend because I'm sending the money on the side of the ski hill to say, I'm so sorry. I let me buy you a new pair of gloves right now. And they seem to think Bernie's cute and it's not so cute. He's relentlessly wonderful. So there you go. Need I say more? Okay. Well, speaking of Bernie, I need to ask about bees. In all of this, did you begin keeping bees? Did your relationship with bees change? Where where are you in bees, Seth? Uh, my relationship with bees changed a lot. I went very deep into bees. I talked to feral beekeepers. They're not feral. The bees are feral. I understood about big honey. I learned about the. Uh, institutions in Georgia and Texas that basically have mass produced queen raping facilities where they produce clones of queens, clip their wings and ship them out. Most bees that the, I learned about the avocado thing and all of it. And I was very tempted to start uh, a beehive, but here's what took me back. Number one, 
if colony collapse happened and the mites assaulted it and they all died, I don't think I could get over that. Number two, uh, we live in a pretty tight neighborhood and I don't know what I would say to the neighbors. And number three, I don't really like honey. And <laughs> so selfishly, there were there were some things in the way. So instead, understanding and talking about it. One of the couples, I could talk about bees all day, but one of the things that's interesting is a beehive is basically an inside out brain. Each bee is a neuron. So if, a, if an individual bee dies, and bees only last three or four weeks before they die, most of them, um, the colony continues. Mm. Once we start to see how the colony communicates across, we learn something about consciousness. We learn something about artificial mm. intelligence. We learn something about so many ways that we as humans walk through the world. And mm. the more we can learn to think as a colony, to think as a hive. One of the stories that Jacqueline tells is, so the reason that so many colonies are collapsing, one of them is that little tiny mites get into the hive and destroy the whole thing. And there are guard bees that sit in front of the hive and inspect every bee as it comes in. And if the bee has high, has mites on it, they go have it cleaned off. And she tells the story of a bee that was toward the end of its life coming in and the guard noticed some mites on it. And it went to the edge of the hive and basically killed itself on behalf of the hive surviving. It just fell off the edge and said, okay, I'm done. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting that humans should do that. That would be horrible. What I am suggesting is that thinking a little bit, not like Milton Friedman, not like a profit maximizer, not like what's my short-term hustle, but instead saying, how do I feed this community? It can make things better for all of us. Yeah, magic. Uh, I want to just reflect back that what I hear in this is you can be wildly passionate about something like the life of bees. And that does not mean you need to be of the bees in your backyard, uh, you know, honey in your tea. And I think that's a really beautiful reminder that let your passion, let that fire burn, go, go deep in the river, learn and share and, and don't give up on that passion because you may not want to become a beekeeper. And that's a beautiful thing. You write a book, you, and then the metaphors and the, the consciousness of, of bees are, are not lost on any of us and are something we need to really pause and, and digest. That's very powerful. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, um, if you don't have your own copy as listeners of this book yet, it is now available. And of many of the pages, one of my favorites was actually page one. And when I open page one, there is a quote. And it says, when you dance on the edge of infinity, there is always enough. Because you aren't taking opportunity from anyone else, you are creating it. Feels like the words of Seth Godin for a lifetime among many words. And so I wanted to wrap the podcast with one question. And this actually comes from another author who today poses the question. Um, if you had 30 minutes to create whatever you want, what would you create today, Seth? So before I answer your question, Steph, in our far too short time together. Every time we have ever spent time together, you have created a version of infinity for me. 
and it is one of your superpowers. And I just wanted to highlight that for people who don't know you as I do. Thank you. Um, what I would say back to that quote is, I had 30 minutes today to create whatever I wanted. And so did you. Mm. And so did every single person listening to this. And the big insight is not, you have to find the one and only answer. You mm. just have to realize that every single day, you already are answering it. Mm. And you're answering it by doing what you know Mark Zuckerberg wants you to do. You're answering it by doing what uh, Robert Iger wants you to do instead of figuring out what your community wants you to do. And so there isn't one right answer except to acknowledge that we had our 30 minutes already. Mm. Gosh, Seth, you're really putting life, life in its finest form. I'm not a bee, so I have the opportunity of more than three or four weeks on this planet. Um, and yet time is finite. And better said, time is so precious. And yeah. what a gift with our precious time. Okay, because we, our time is precious and, and there's so many other places we can go, can I ask just one more question? You can, Steph. I got nothing but time for you. Uh, well, you, you mentioned that you're slowing down on purpose right now. And uh, I, I can't imagine what slowing down for you <laughs> could possibly be <laughs> or look like. And, um, and we don't even need to go to that, to, to what was life before it was slow for you. I just can't help but ask, what does that mean? And what does that look like for you? And how do you, most importantly, how does it make you feel? One of the things that I talk about in the Song of Significance is the word Lyman or Lemon, which is the stones on the base of a doorway. And what it means to be in a liminal state is that you're between here and there. Uh, my office where I'm talking to you from is about a mile from my home. And um, most days in the old days, I would just get my electric car and I'd be here in you know, four minutes. But any day that the weather's conducive, I walk. And you could say, well, that's a waste of 20 minutes. Or you could say, that's the best part of your day. Mm. And this liminal state of realizing that the time from here to there is at least as important as the time spent there, wherever there is, is what some people in Western culture might call slowing down. Mm. And I am just becoming conscious and then unconscious on purpose of the moment and being in between. It's fine. Uh, mm. You don't have to get to the punchline right away. Mm. And that is juicy beyond measure and takes discipline for someone who has a limited attention span. Um, but I'm glad I'm on that journey. Mm, magic. You know, it's funny. I've always known you to do so many things and yet you do, you do so many things with such great intention until they're, they're perfect. And it makes, you know, 21 books to the exponent of three come to life. It makes multiple <laughs> loaves of sourdough come to life and all of those things. I, I wanted to share that um, one of my latest hobbies in the world of slowing down, I don't own a television and I usually shut my computer at the end of whenever I deem the end of work and, and that's that. So I listen to a lot of podcasts. I really enjoy reading, of course, and I play cards. I think card games are really fun and we travel with cards and we bring them out and your card deck is the card deck that sits on the table. And 
um, I want to share with you, I never have shared this with you. Um, you know, I enjoy playing these games and with young people and older people, and we all come together and you learn cards. Yet the trouble with your card deck is when I flip a queen and it asks me, <laughs> you could do tomorrow over again, would you? I always pause and say, is tomorrow the next day or is tomorrow the last day? Because if I don't know tomorrow yet, what? Oh, no, the last day was yesterday and tomorrow. That's what we, is call the, the, we call the last day yesterday. Last day yesterday. I, that's yeah. if I had said, if you could do yesterday over again, that wouldn't have been original and it wouldn't have been profound. Well, what I'm saying is you get a chance to do tomorrow over again already. Yes. You have a tomorrow in mind, particularly for people who aren't like you and me who have traditional jobs. Mm -hmm. You have already decided what your tomorrow is like. You've decided how you're going to treat your spouse and how you're going to treat your puppy and how you're going to treat your neighbor and your coworker. You've decided they have a meeting at three o'clock in the commute, all those things pre-decided before you go to bed. If you could do tomorrow over again and make mm -hmm. it better, would you? Because in fact, you could. And that's just it. So the beauty in all things Seth Godin is we have access to your books in so many different shapes and forms and you don't need a television to slow down. The beauty of your work is that those cards were once in a lifetime and I got them and now they generate conversations time and time again with only myself. I need to stop every game, mid game and say, wait a beautiful. minute, we must answer this question. And then I think, how can we go forth and create something worthy of stopping a card game, a conversation at a dinner table, the things that actually matter. And I know that you have existed to change organizations. And I'm so grateful that I was where I was at the moment in time that allowed me to meet you in exactly the room I think that you are recording from right now. And the most beautiful thing might happen when we're out walking our dogs or tending to the bees. And you are just a beautiful, beautiful human being. And I hope you hear it often. And if I'm the first Canadian that gets to tell you this at this moment in time today, I'm so grateful to be that person, Seth, because you create nothing but love in my life. And thank you for that. Thank you, my friend. Sending you Zoom hugs from a distance. Zoom love. Oh, hey, before you go. You know, listening to podcasts on this thing called the internet, it's a wild ride. And what would be so helpful on our wild journey is if you would be so kind to jump on and give us a review. Four, maybe even five stars. It really helps. Thanks for joining us.